Well, here we are again. It's the Untitled Film Project podcast. This time, Disney's latest live-action remake is The Beloved Little Mermaid. Does the reimagined tale give us all the feels as the animated version so many years ago? Let's find out. Sebastian, if you had just seen it up there... You have to let go of this obsession with humans. Oh, they're not so bad. Unless you're a coconut. They get a hold of one, they smash it to pieces just like that. Before we get initial takes on The Little Mermaid live action, let's give you a preview of our big question for this week so you can think about it. We ask ourselves and we asked the universe, if you could ask one ridiculous question about being a mermaid, what would that question be? The questions we got and our own are coming up. But first, initial takes, Justin Bradford, Little Mermaid. So this was one where at the screening we were allowed to bring more guests than we typically are. So I brought two children, or one being a teenager, one a child child, and their father as well, because I wanted them to experience it and advance like like we were able to. And you're the man-child. And I'm the man-child. I'm the Disney adult uh, <laughs> as well. Self-admitted Disney adult. But I wanted to get the reactions as well, too, because I think when you think of Disney movies like this, yes, they're, they're targeting these live-action remakes to millennials and Gen Xers that also have kids mm-hmm. and reimagining them to take your kids to experience this movie like you did when you were a child as well. That's what they're trying to accomplish, I believe, with these. Not you, Moana and The Rock. Love Moana the movie, but it's too soon. But my initial take on this was, of all the different live-action remakes from Disney's renaissance in animation period, which is, as we've established in other things, the late 80s and early 90s, where you have Beauty and the Beast, The Lion King, Aladdin, and Little Mermaid, those four cornerstone movies of Disney animation, right? This was the best of those four. Now, people may say, well, it's not saying much. Well, I know it's not saying much, but it easily is the best to me in terms of I felt like this one had more of that actual Disney magic in this film. Thanks to the music. Thanks to Alan Menken being a part of this as well. Thanks to tremendous vocals from Halle Bailey. Thanks to wonderful comedic voice acting from David Diggs. Thanks to so many things like that. But that Disney magic actually felt more real in this one compared to the other three. Lion King, you're not going to feel magic because you can't emote with what you're trying to animate as a live animal. You just can't do the same thing in animation. It didn't work. And Beauty and the Beast, I love Emma Watson, but she should not have played that role because she's not a vocalist. Right. And then Aladdin, that was very forgettable to me. To to me, it it was really... I I wasn't even at the exit door when I'd forgotten about that movie. But, (laughs) But The Little Mermaid, they stayed very true to the animated version of this. And I think that's what audiences will appreciate the most, that they didn't change a lot. They had to make their changes because you just have to a lot of times, but they paid some attention to good details that I feel like, again, brought back that Disney magic. And a lot of that is thanks to the music, not just the vocals, but also the, the score as well. You, I felt Disney through this, and I didn't feel that in the other ones. I felt more money grabbing those mm-hmm. than I did in this one. I felt the casting overall was very well done in this. I feel like they finally took the opportunity to say, Let's get something right in this one. So overall, I really did enjoy it. I felt like this one is one that deserved to be made. And this one as well, even though I feel like the Lion King animated was the best movie of that. My favorite was Aladdin. But this one is the one I think so many more audiences are have grasped to so far in terms of Disney animation, The Little Mermaid. One, you've been talking about this for over a year now with the controversy of casting a person of color right. as Ariel. 
has beautiful vocals and she's amazing in this role and, and so many and other the things. And silly arguments of, well, mermaids aren't like that. It's a mythical it's, creature. <laughs> what did they do to Founder? He's a fish. What? <laughs> it's all made up. Sebastian's a crab. He wasn't a lobster. How did you think he was a lobster? What is going on? Anyways, I really did enjoy <laughs> it overall. Again, I feel like it was the best one out of those four. Very nice. Jeremy Gover. Halle Bailey is a star. That's my initial take. I, all right. She burst onto the scene in this film, and ladies and gentlemen, we have seen a coming out party. It's spectacular. I praise. There you go. Moving on. This is Jim, <laughs> and you know, I saw Little Mermaid, the animated film, when it came out in the theater, the beginning of the renaissance of Disney, and fell in love with that film. Okay? The score, outstanding. Uh, the story, just so good, and just really lovable. So, you know, I, I definitely said, Disney, don't screw this up. And while I was watching the movie, uh, I would say maybe the first half of the movie, I'm like, I'm really enjoying this. I like some of the things they did, but I don't feel it. And then there was a point, and I think I can point to maybe Melissa McCarthy's Poor Unfortunate Souls scene, where from that point on, it was, we're off. We are off to the races, and we are flying, and all of a sudden, things meant stuff. I felt stuff. The heart was there, the Disney magic you described. So, I mean, I was really, it took a little bit, but they swept me into those emotions and feels that I haven't felt since the original. So, I was really happy with it. Please forgive me for saying that we are about to dive yeah, I knew it. into the movie uh, in a more detailed way, Little Mermaid live action. So let's talk about the score. Uh, this, this film is, you know, ringing through people's ears over generations, right? Uh, what did you think of the music and then the musical performances going around? Bradford is the score guy, so I'll let him go first, out of respect. <laughs> so, one, having Alan Menken have a big role in this, of course. He's he's Disney music. Yeah. That's, that's what he is. And then you add a little addition. he wrote addition. The, the original. Yeah, he wrote the original. Yeah. And then you also bring in Lin-Manuel Miranda to help a little bit. And we got the notes of that as well, some little little bit of rap yep, going on. Sure. And that was great. I mean, working with David Diggs helps. He doesn't just do rap songs. But the inspiration. You no, can I feel know it. that, but I'm just saying. We, I know he doesn't just do that, but he has such a beautiful way of musical numbers with hip hop spoken word. Yes, he does, and he is incredible at writing for, for sure. that as well. And I really appreciate that about his style, but also giving it a modern take. Yeah, so that, that rhythmic yes way of delivering lines that you know has made him. That's his trademark. Yeah, yes, He's so and, good at it, and I love that so much that. They thought, and that's that's again where I feel like they put the right thought into this of how do we make it feel true to the original animated, but also modernize us a little bit with some of the music in additions because there's always an addition to they're drawing the movie out longer than an hour twenty yeah. that an original typical one would be from that time period. So the additions of what Sebastian was doing and Scuttle as well and utilizing Lin Manuel Miranda as well as Alan Menken in this 
made me again feel the Disney magic. The score was absolutely beautiful. It was so beautifully done because I was just getting visions of like Cinderella's castle, Sleeping Beauty's castle. The, the iconic Disney images were coming through because the, the chord progressions that is be, that are being used in this are making you feel warm feelings. You're getting warm fuzzies when yes. you're hearing the music in this because if you watch these as a kid, it is throwing you right back to nostalgia with the way the music was composed for this film. And that is a huge accomplishment because they didn't overthink it and overdo it to where like, we need to make this fully modern and make it sound like today's music. No, people don't want that. People want nostalgia. That's what they're going to go for. And they're going to have their expectations met way more than were met with the previous three live action remakes from the Renaissance era. This one is going to meet their needs because they're going to feel the music that they felt the same in 1989 and that is a huge accomplishment for music to play such a pivotal role in a movie like this but it needs to the iconic songs from the little mermaid yeah there, they, there's just too many to there's mention. there's too many to mention but what's also great too is note one of the subtractions was an early piece in the animated one about what triton's daughters, the daughters of triton the yeah. daughters of triton because they wanted the moment of part of your world to be that moment that lifts everything up to be like you are in this, and we are rolling, and here's Halle Bailey as Ariel. Boom. And it accomplishes that so well. And what I love about her music, and Halle Bailey, and I'm rolling here, so I apologize. What I love about her vocals is that there's no try-hard behind it. Yeah. It is crisp. It is clean. And most importantly, because she's playing a teenager, it's innocent. Her vocals are very innocent behind how she's performing this and not too grown, not too mature. There's an innocence behind her voice, her vocal delivery that makes her fit Ariel so well. She was right in that zone. Absolutely. It needed to be that teenage angst, you know, uh, fighting against, you know, the traditions or the expectations of, you know, the parents. And it was the same for Prince Eric. Uh, you know, they, they mirrored those things and it, it felt pure. It felt like appropriate for what I think that story is written for. It's supposed to be that teenage trying to break free thing, and uh, and they did it very well. Halle Bailey put all the controversy to rest for me by singing the first note in the first trailer they released. I'm like, it's mm -hmm. over. They found this person is perfect. They sound phenomenal. They look great. And, you know, okay, you did it. You've, you've casted it really well. I, I thought that she did so terrifically throughout the movie uh, in, uh, you know, like you said, in an effortless way. It didn't, there was no uh, reaching for notes or it, it, she was already there. Uh, Prince Eric, Jonah Howard King, who played him, uh, I think had the only forgettable song in the movie. And that's uh, okay, I think. And that's all right. Yeah. Daughters of Triton in the original. It's a forgettable number. Uh, among many great ones. Uh, Melissa McCarthy, do we know if she can sing that well or was that enhanced? Because her musical number was fantastic. And it's, truly, it's true to Melissa McCarthy as well. Yes. Like her personality was in it, and that's what was great about it. One of my favorite parts of the film, just because it was so like joyous. Yeah. Not really funny, and although it was funny, and not really like, you know, like, happiness i wouldn't call that but definitely joyful like, oh, like i'm getting i'm just having a good time right now totally in the pocket right was when aquafina's character scuttle got to do her lin lin manuel, lin -Manuel miranda 
just I, 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 I wouldn't even call it a rap. I don't think, but it's musical number. Yeah, right. yeah, I mean, yeah. Right. It was so I was just happy for her. It was fun. Yeah, that, that yes. okay. It's a perfect comedic thing. That character, based on the rest of this film, would do something like that. Yep. And on top of that, as an actress, it's got to be a thrill to have your own musical number that's written by Lin Manuel Miranda <laughs> yeah. in a Disney blockbuster, and yeah. she got to own it. It was I thought it was great. So fun. She did. She did it really, really well. I thought that was one of the more fun things that they brought to it. Uh, let's get to some of the other things, because this is not a shot-for-shot remake of the original tale. Uh, there are some story elements that uh, are either they were taken out or fleshed out, in my opinion, much better than the original film. I think I understood the connection between Prince Eric and Ariel much better in this film, because they showed where they were both coming from. They were so similar you know, both of them trying desperately to get out from underneath the expectations of their parents. They both have a, a secret room where they keep things that they love and, and treasure. Uh, and, you know, they both had this this wanderlust that, you know, is typical of somebody their age that they you, now I understand. Yes, it's not going to take much for these two to fall in love. It didn't it, even if one didn't save the other's life. Um, What other things did you notice that were maybe different about this film that you took note of? So one thing that funnily shocked or saddened my friends that watched this were the absence of Chef Luis Mm -hmm. and him trying to cook Sebastian. I completely understand why they'd be cut from this. Right. But the comedy of that in an animated film is chef's kiss for lack of a better way to say it Mm -hmm. it is a great little piece of this as well because it's a great comedic piece i again understand why they don't put this in a live action but it'd be i'm interested to see if they even talked about if it was even discussed or if something they filmed and they cut as well because that's i want to say iconic but that is a very memorable part of the animated feature so think of like tom and jerry the classic ones not this new bullcrap (laughs) the classic ones that that are that are just like brutal right if they, it's hilarious. It's cat and mouse. It's animated. It's funny. Hilarious, mm-hmm. literally. But in a live action, if they did a live action, you would cringe at how bad it looked. Oh, yeah. So it's the same type of thing, right? You can't put Sebastian, a character who you already love through the movie, mm-hmm. in a boiling pot or even try to. <laughs> or even just go in that's that direction. That's what I'm yeah, saying, yeah, right? Like, it just does not work. Right. So I, I completely agree. Yeah. But I was wondering if they're going to put it in there. It was a good call. One thing that I think was fleshed out better as well was Sir Grimsby. His character was very likable and even tried to enhance the relationship as well in showing shock, kicking the ring as well with Ursula and everything too. So I liked his character being present there. Covering covering as well. So I liked that they fleshed his character out a little bit more too. The queen, fairly forgettable, but she had to be there. Yeah. I believe. And I also, uh, I liked the aspect of Eric being adopted. So did I. I I thought that was just, it was really... uh, uh, something uh, I guess what makes a a good thing in a film is something that you didn't expect but makes so much sense and feels right. Uh, and, and it took th- one line of dialogue to do it. Yep. Yeah. It was just and, and immediately I'm bought in. Yep. You know? mm-hmm. Yep. So uh, yeah, I mean, interesting character. No, not really, but 
just enough to keep mm-hmm. the story going. So attention to detail is something that I appreciate. And while audiences may not understand a switch in terms of species of bird for Scuttle, there's a very important reason why Scuttle is not a seagull in this. And thanks to TikTok is how I learned this. I, I'm going to start but, getting a bingo card out. And every time he mentions TikTok on an episode, we're going to take a... We're going to strike one. You learn a lot on TikTok. Maybe we have a little fanfare. Here's what Justin learned from TikTok. Yeah. Yeah. Shut up. You're on it, too. Carry on. First of all, I want to pose a question. Did you even notice the species was different? Well, yeah. Is it something that was noticeable to you? Okay. I did. But, I mean, it wasn't like a huge, it wasn't like a pelican. That's why it's like, you know. That's why it's attention to detail. It's a minor detail, but it's a detail to make things more understandable to why Scuttle would be friends or even meet Ariel and Flounder and things like that. Because, obviously, a seagull can't dive underwater. But a northern gannet, which is the bird mm-hmm. that Scuttle is in the live-action remake... Someone's done their research. ...is a bird that... TikTok did the research. I'm oh, repeating sorry. this. Someone did the research on TikTok, and <laughs> someone else did the research. But I love this, because they're the diving bird. They plunge and dive into the ocean when they're doing their hunting, and they can hold their breath for a very long time. And it's native to the coast of the Atlantic Ocean, and they breed in Western Europe and Northeastern America and Northern... So very broad as well. So it helps because you don't necessarily place exactly where this is, yep. which is great because this bird has a very wide range of where it can live or be, whether it's migrating or not as well. But the fact that it dives underwater and can hold its breath for so long and why Scuttle's having a conversation with Ariel underwater, not that we're supposed to suspend reality. It's a mermaid film. Right. But I like the brief explanation of that too because sure. they make it more believable in types of species that could be underwater and why they met each other. There's, that's how they spend time together. Yes. This, this bird, who is usually in the air, becomes a part of her world. Yes, and I love that. I love that minor detail that they went, you know, we're going to change this because of this, and they did it, and I love that. What bird expert was on the committee? It's Disney. They do the research, man. Yeah. For every Even animated films, you look at Luca, what they did for Moana, mm. that team does the research because they want to get things right. Well, Historically, culturally, them, everything. Great. They want to get things right, and I like that. Bird score, 10 out of 10. (laughs) Let's talk about the video effects, though, because uh, this movie, half of it's underwater. Very hard to film underwater. I mean, things have gotten a lot better with uh, film and cinema. What what they can do with CGI now is pretty incredible. Um, But it's still difficult to get the right look. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, What did you think of the visuals in this movie? Since Wakanda Forever which I think they got a big beta test on. Yes. Right? <laughs> that I think I think it looked great underwater. My issue with the special effects, I had this in my I had it in my notes twice, was that at the beginning of the movie it seemed like it wasn't finished. It looked it looked a little rough around the edges early on. Then I don't know, like after that scene it seemed to be totally like I bought in totally, but that there was a there was a scene early I was like, Ew, you know. And I was like, hope the rest of this, hope the rest of the movie isn't like this, you know? Yeah. And then towards the end of the scene, I actually wrote, or end of the scene, end of the film, I wrote shoddy CGI again. Because at the end, there was something else that didn't sit well. There was something there that I was going to bring up, and I th- maybe this is the same thing. Uh, there were parts of the movie, visually, that were too dark. Yes. And I okay. wonder if, especially at the end when, you know, Ursula has become this monster creature, this giant thing. Okay, is is this hard to see to cover up? Yeah, the CGI. That's my guess. 
I, I was wondering. So one of the kids asked me that. Why was it so dark when Ursula was a giant? I was like, because it's expensive to animate that. Uh-huh. And it's supposed to be like, you know, thunder, it's a, lightning, it's a storm cloud, and, and this too. rest. Yeah, so. And it makes it feel more ominous that way. So I think yeah, they right. cover their tracks yes. well yes. by making dark. But yes, there were some scenes that were very dark where you're going you're you're almost having a squint to see things. Granted, it is in the ocean and you're underwater and you lose some sunlight. But there it shouldn't be that dark. And so many movies are doing yeah. that nowadays where you're just seeing you're going. Why is it so dark? Adjust your lighting. What is going on? Yeah. Even in animation, you I have can, lighting in animation. I can only see the the flames of the campfire. I can't see the characters around it. You know, just, right. there's that is a problem with movies, along with the you know indecipherable dialogue uh, from what, <laughs> the way they're you know mixing these films too. One of the things uh, my wife immediately nudged me about while we were watching the movie is that uh, in the daylight scenes towards the end of the film. When the mer people are up out of the water, they looked horrible. Under the water, they looked great. Their hair is flowing. Above the water, they looked like they were. Well, they were suffocating, Jim. Yeah, well, I, yeah, but <laughs> I'm, no, no. and 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 there, there was a certain. Um, I guess if we saw King Triton, which I thought Javier Bardem played him very well. I, I really, thought it was Brad Garrett, but that's just me. That's exactly the thing I was just going to tell you. Was it really? Oh, I'm so sorry. No, I love. I'm so sorry. No, I love that you also thought that because (laughs) when he's he's just poking his head out of his out of the water and he's basically saying, "Ariel, you live the life you're going to live," and his hair is matted down, it looked like Brad Garrett. Thank you. I'm so sorry. I thought it was Ray Romano's brother from Everybody Loves Raymond. Uh, that is so funny because that's exactly who I was thinking of, and I like all of a sudden I start like you know hearing Brad Garrett's voice coming out of him, right. you know because I'm like he doesn't look powerful at all. He looks like Brad Garrett. <laughs> you know what was also missing from that scene as well is I really wanted Triton to take his trident and make the rainbow the ah moment, the Daddy <laughs> Triton moment. Yeah, I was I was missing that 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 knocks it down two points for me. Gover. Oh wow, <laughs> it would have knocked it down two or three points if he had done that for me. <laughs> That's I'm horrendously cheesy. <laughs> like, like a Skittles commercial. <laughs> but then, Taste the rainbow. But that just is like Shazam told us. But that is one of the most popular gifts from this movie, though, yeah. is trying. Oh. <laughs> you know what? Okay, so to wrap up this discussion, that would have been an awesome end credit scene. Uh, oh, yeah. just because there wasn't one, that. as we know, we stuck around and waited right. to see if there'd be something cool. You know, at the end, we were joking about, "Oh, it's Moana!" Like, you know, we joke around. Right. That would have been great. That would have been funny if it just an outtake where he's like. Like that would have been hilarious. Mm-hmm. Disney, call us, man. We're giving you ideas. <laughs> We're idea here. people. Think of us as Imagineers. Yeah, amateur Imagineers. Oh. Amateurs, if Am- you will. We have Am- Imagineer friends. <laughs> Amateurs. All right, let's get to the scoring section of the Untitled Film Project podcast with Little Mermaid 2023. Who do you want to start with, Jim? <laughs> you're, you're the pivot guy. I'd like, you know, just who you want to go with here. Uh, you you want to go with the Disney pro over here? I think Jim should go first. I, I'll, th- I'll, I'll do this. I'll, okay. I'll, I'll take this because... Happy dataversary, go first. Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of a neat moment because uh, when going to see that movie, my wife and I were just dating. And you really? know, we, we went to see the new, you know, live action version as a date as well. So it was pretty cool. Oh, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Full circle. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. That's cool. Yeah. So uh, I- When an animated Pan's Labyrinth comes out, 
in 20 years, I'll take my wife to see that. It was our <laughs> that, first movie together. That's your date movie. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yep. Okie dokie. Surprised we made it. Are we? Because I am. <laughs> Just like the first time I saw it back when the animated version came out, I came out of this movie really happy. Loved it. Enjoyed it. They made all the right changes. This is a Disney movie. Like you said, they, they did the right moves to make it better, uh, make it a little more interesting, because uh, you have to, unless otherwise you're just retelling the same garbage. And I thought they did it great. <laughs> I, you know what I mean? Like, what <laughs> call Little Mermaid? Go no, 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 no. I know, like, I know, I know. Yeah, like it's just funny the way. Yeah, if you're, you know, <laughs> if you're gonna redo something, uh, just don't mimic it and and do the same thing. You know, make it better. Um, it's your job. You know, otherwise the first one is fine. I really thought. The casting was great. The singing was really good. The score was tremendous. I mean, with Alan Menken and Lin-Manuel Miranda coming together on a movie, uh, this gave me so much joy. Hearing those songs again, hearing them somewhat reinterpreted, uh, I just really thought they did it right. Uh, It looked good. It felt good. Even my initial hesitation, they wore me down, and then I was just <laughs> in it. Like, my heart is just connected to the screen. So uh, is it a perfect movie? No. Uh, it has, you know, some drawbacks, but it's not supposed to be. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a fairy tale. So uh, I'm going to give this a 7.0. Mm. Bradford, I just thought of a... Uh, a thing, a note that I need to write down. Why don't you go second? And buy me some time. Oh, so I'm, I'm being serious. Like I just legitimately like, he, buying go over no, time. No, as here. he was talking, I was like, oh, and then all of a sudden he was done. Is so it if for, you could, is it for minus points or plus points? It's for plus points. I will happily <laughs> take some time for you, Gover. Knew it. Because if it would went the other way, I would have said, "Suck it up, Buttercup. <laughs> you're going next." All right. So my expectations for this was that I wanted wonderful vocals. We got that. Halle Bailey slayed. I mean, she just showed the world that she is the Little Mermaid. Suck it, incels. (laughs) And I loved it so much that in part of your world, the expectations, and I know she's going to kill it in vocals because we've just been hearing how great of a vocalist she is. And it doesn't happen that often when I'm watching a movie that I will emote as much. But when she's hitting those specific notes in part of your world, I did get chills. I actually had goosebumps on my arms Mm -hmm. because the music was so well done that it had me in the moment. And that doesn't happen that often like that. That'll happen maybe in a a superhero movie or like the portal scene in Endgame. I'm like, yeah, or when Captain America picked up Mjolnir or in No Way Home when we get the other two Spider-Men. Those are the moments that usually make me go, yeah. Do you have any non-Marvel moments by chance? Uh, uh, You beat me to a question. I mean, Star Wars. Star Wars moments as well. (laughs) Okay. The Vader scene in Rogue One. (laughs) This is not Marvel. (laughs) Do you have anything involving real people on Earth? Like in a regular situation. That's called sexual relations. I'll, I'll be cutting that. <laughs> this is a family podcast, Bradford. Is it? <laughs> Will it? Usually it's a superhero movie that's going to make me emote more yeah. because the way it's built up, there's tension, there's things like that that make you feel something as well. 
yes, I feel things during dramas and other things like that, but it has to take really good vocals because typically I need to hear those vocals live. Like if it's a, a musical or an experience in a theater, then a vocal is going to make me really feel something, but not too much on a screen. Am I going to feel something like that? Because so many things have changed, the audio and not everything's there, especially on TV and how many people have the right systems in their house that really are going to make you feel every emotion in what's being vocalized. She accomplishes that. And that's big for me to be able to feel that type of emotion coming through her voice. And it is really easy to animate a mermaid hair flip. It is not easy to actually physically accomplish that. She's discussed this so many people. How many people at summertime do you see practicing their mermaid hair flip? It is, it's a thing of culture now. And it is not easy to do to get it to look the exact way you need it to look. So the amount of times it took her to accomplish that and to make it happen, major props to getting it done flip. for the hair flip. Have you not seen little girls or adults no, I, doing I the mermaid hair flip, right? I don't, yeah, of course. I don't it's, and it's not an easy feat. And so for her to have to do totally that with bad. her hair that long, with a wig that long and everything too, for that, because that is an iconic thing from this movie, right? It's her getting on the rock when she's belting the note and a hair flip. Those are two iconic freeze frames from the little mermaid sure and so i just absolutely love that david digs some of his liners when she picks when ariel picks up the conch shell and sebastian is in that conch shell and he just goes hey girl <laughs> yeah about lost it <laughs> about lost it his little lines through that whole scene when he's trying to hide incredible they were fantastic wonderfully done and animated i think sebastian they did justice to sebastian in this which is difficult you're making an animated character interact with a physical character and that's difficult to do sometimes not many yep. movies can pull it off even though they're not physically interacting all the time still the interaction they have to have on screen you have to find a way to accomplish that it felt Thought they did that very well it did feel real again this is the best live action adaptation of the disney renaissance movies and probably one of the best period of any live action adaptation of a Disney animated feature as well. And for that, I'm giving it an 8.0. Very good. Okay, very strong. And Jeremy. just enough time to finish my thought. Thank you very much. You finished typing, so I figured, Jer okay, wrap it up. Jeremy's, <laughs> yeah, the wheels are, are done turning. And, and the guy now behind the camera like, we're going to find out what, <laughs> he's he, ready. what he thinks. Yeah. Uh, not the best CGI in parts, like I said. Really strong use of Nat sound. They dropped out the mm. score completely in a scene. To give it that gravitas, that heavy feeling, and it worked flawlessly. Oh, I love it when you talk dirty. It was so <laughs> <laughs> musical score guy over here. Started talking about music, and he gets all emotional on me. I tell you, it felt slow at times, which I was very surprised by. I didn't think it would, and it did. There were not not the whole time, but there were moments that I was like, "How long have we been in here? Hour and a half? Two? Like, it was. It just felt like let's go. You know, mm -hmm. uh, it is the definition of a family movie to me. You can bring your entire family to see this. No one's going to be offended. No one's going to learn anything controversial. No one's going to be exposed to anything they shouldn't be exposed to at an early age. It is great. The last thing I'll say is my wife is a teacher. She's a uh, fourth grade teacher at an elementary school. And she helps direct the annual Disney musical at her. It's one of the few schools in the school system that are allowed to do these Disney musicals. Okay? Yes. Uh, I only bring this up because... Being in elementary school, okay, childish behavior sometimes rears its ugly head every once in a, every once in a while, and she's done five of these. So for five years, they've done Jungle Book, Aladdin, you know, uh, Lion King, right? 
And this last year, for the first time, there was some jealousy with some other cast members to the girl who was who played Elsa because they were doing Frozen. Ooh. It was very apparent. The reason I bring this up, not to throw anybody under the bus, I'm trying to show you context that even at that age, Jungle Book was fine. Nobody had a problem. Lion King, fine. Nobody had a problem. Right? But you Frozen, all of a sudden, there's a problem. That's how popular that is and that character is. Yes. With the little ones. Okay, the third, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, right? Yeah. Okay. Halle Bailey just made Ariel dethrone Elsa. She is tremendous, and she is now, I'm calling it right now, the new staple in the Disney Princess Kingdom. Wow. That's how great she was. That's big. 6.5. Okay. Wait, what? Yep. I- <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm I'm gonna call it like I I don't think she's gonna unseat Elsa. Sorry, but it's that good, that, you guys. A, that's a bold prediction that I'm glad you made. It's that because good. I can't wait to come back at you with that in a couple of years. But he comes out with all this. No, so it's, I gave it's a shoddy I CGI. gave you I gave you extra time. <laughs> what were you going to give it? No, I was writing down. The, you said it was positive points. It was the wife story, the teacher story. Oh, that was what I was writing down. Okay, okay. You you took all that time, yeah, to hype up Halle well, I Bailey. It, I had to get it right, and to hype to hype up <laughs> Halle Bailey, yeah, and to hype up her portrayal of Ariel, yes. and everything that yes. you really enjoy the movie. To, yes. It's a great family movie, yes. and a six point five. Yes, because the movie felt slow. It felt forced at times. The music was great. Okay, all the main elements were fun. Okay, I had a fun time at the theater. If I did not want to, if I, if my family didn't want to see, if they weren't dying to see it, would I go back? The answer is no. Okay, a six point five means there's lots of room for improvement. How much would CGI, if it was perfect to you, improve it? Uh, probably a half a then point. Then what point. would you do to this movie to give it an actual good score? Six point five is not a good score. Not like a rotten, not in Rotten Tomatoes. A sixty five. See, I I don't always go rotten to I don't I don't, I don't know that's a, I know yeah. you're taking all things into account. Bradford's yeah. rotten tomatoes. I know it's taking everything into an account, but to me, a six point five is not something people strive for on a quiz. That's you fair. want at least get a seven. That's a D. You but, want at least get a seven, which is a good. It's a, a C, a passing grade. What would get it to that point for you then to be considered good? Okay, in fairness, okay, this is where some some subjectivity comes into play. I don't view the one through ten scale like it would be percentages in school. I don't like nine and up is an A, eight is a B. I don't do that. To me, five is a C. It's average. It's right down the middle. There's nothing fancy, but nothing bad about it either. Like plain for me, it was just a. I turn my but, brain off at the door. It's a five. But most people see a five in a, any sort of rating for movie, and they consider that bad. I don't care what people think. This is how I score movies. Yes, so it's but a one general audience. F. One is don't even think about seeing it. A five is, well, you know, if maybe if you're into it. And then a 10 is like, you have to go see this movie. It's, that, it's one. It's mm-hmm. ten. Think of it as not percentages, but as like five okay. is the middle. Okay, folks that are listening. Here we go. Untitled Film Project podcast on all social media. I need you to tell Gover how dumb he is for his rating system. You know what? I <laughs> The fact that this conversation has gotten him to promote the social media channels that he no, 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 that's not, uh, no, 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 because a 6.5 is a victory to me after something you overall were impressed with. No, dude, 
it felt slow. I never got emotional once. I did like the, the Little Mermaid, the actual animated film, made me weep. Not ball, but I was like, oh, it's touching, you know. Yeah. No, not one time did I feel that. It didn't connect with me in an emotional way. Why didn't you say that in your initial review? Because you're bringing up stuff right Maybe now. Maybe you should bring this up in the review then, so people aren't shocked by 6.5. Well, those of you that are only listening and can't see this, they are arguing and fighting, and it also might end in a kiss. I have no idea. <laughs> Like I, if Sebastian was here I and said Chris kissed the girl, I would kiss Brad. I expected <laughs> not because he's a girl. Jim's talking points about the movie led to his score yeah. properly. I feel like my talking points. I don't need your led validation. To my score. It's dude. not about validation. It's about making freaking sense. <laughs> you talk about it, and I'm like, well, I'm expecting like a seven. That's what I was expecting. Okay, I'm a half a point off. Yes, of that? because there's a huge difference all when right. you look at the optics. I don't, I don't have it. any time for this. <laughs> I have all the time in the world, Buster. No, you don't, actually, because you have a job to get to. <laughs> and you have one too soon. <laughs> On Monday. Just to audience, talk to him. Talk to him on Twitter. It's Govertime. I-T-S-G-O-V-E-R-T-I-M-E. Ain't going to be Govertime much longer. <laughs> little change up on the big question from the Untitled Film Project podcast for The Little Mermaid. We threw out to the world and to ourselves the possibility, if you could ask a ridiculous question of a mermaid, what would you ask them? And our listeners and viewers have come through with some <laughs> terrific questions. Uh, Mrs. Jim Saylor, she wants to know... Do you get restless legs? Ooh. Never thought restless leg syndrome would come up in this, but that is a perfect Maybe ridiculous restless question. Restless fin? Yeah. Rec- yeah. I, well, I guess restless <laughs> legs when you're on land, it depends, yeah. If they find that if they watch TV, mermaid TV, they'll, they'll, there's certainly a commercial for a prescription of that. <laughs> Ask your doctor yeah. if it's right for you. Wow. You sound like one of the old people in this group. <laughs> No argument here. I want to throw out the question that a lot of people submitted, so I'm not going to single out anyone because uh, it was the predominant question, how do you pee? How do you get away from your own pee if you're underwater? Because you're surrounded by what is, you're filling the space around you with pee. (laughs) I mean, if you own an aquarium. It's the same thing, right? same thing. (laughs) You're Watch making, a fish pee. That's how they do it. New sand. <laughs> uh, that's what I'm gonna. You're just. You're, I agree. You're swimming in your own dookie. Great uh, green Mermaids kind of. They've got the half human thing. So <laughs> humans don't like to be around their own dookie. But centaurs. <laughs> what? <laughs> what just happened in this room? <laughs> but centaurs. Okay. All right, let's get to our questions. Justin Bradford, if you could ask a mermaid a ridiculous question, what would it be? It better be about centaurs. (laughs) At what point is a fish a friend and not food? (laughs) Because let's think about this. That's a good question. It is a good question. Flounder talks and obviously is an intelligent creature in this. But are only certain species talking, or does that shark that was chasing them does does it talk, or are there little minnows that don't talk? They're like run away, 
the mermaid's coming. Yeah. Or, I, I wondered when Scuttle dove under the water and gulps up the fish and Flounder's like, <laughs> that was somebody's a, mother. That was, yeah. I was in the homeroom with that kid. Homeroom. <laughs> <laughs> we were going to Calc 101. <laughs> So, so that's what I want to know. It's like, are there certain species uh, that are considered intelligent? Like or at it. what point are they friends and not food? And, and, and are, what are they eating? And does it talk to you before you put it in the, the, the pot that you're cooking with? <laughs> and the mermaid pot, the mer pot, the, the mot. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great question. I think somebody's been smoking some mot. <laughs> You know what? It's kelp, Jim. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what is that? What's yours? What's your, your personal question you would ask? So my question is, how do you keep your skin from getting pruney? Mm. Okay. You know, it's a half hour tops as a human in a pool. Uh, if you're living your whole life with half of your body being, you know, human and you're underwater, I mean, how do you not look? Like some shriveled up old lady in Miami. Petroleum <laughs> jelly. <laughs> Petroleum jelly. <laughs> Provides, you know, a layer of protection. <laughs> like a like a duck. Yes. Under yeah, they they yeah. waterproof kind of. Yeah. yeah see? Okay. All right. I'm, I'm answering life's toughest questions. I'm Just like centaurs. <laughs> <laughs> but centaurs. Uh Jeremy Gover, you're you've got a, a mermaid with all the answers in front of you. What ridiculous question do you ask? Why are you wearing clothes? Mm. I don't understand. Like, fish don't do that. Because it's PG and you can't show <laughs> No. <laughs> Thank you. I'm aware of the strategic reasons. I'm, that's what, if we're to having the flight of fancy, right? That if you're on a beach and a mermaid comes up and it's like, hey, ask me a question. My first question is, why are you wearing anything? That mm-hmm. doesn't make any sense to me. Well, if you yeah. look at the merlore. And we go back in time for it. Okay. <laughs> oh, he's got no, an answer. Uh, hold on. I think he's See, being serious. Not uh, half serious. Okay. <laughs> but let's look at this, though, because in mermaids, whether it's in fiction or fantasy, written and everything else, they're being depicted as human-like, right? Yes. So they're not going to necessarily write them to be savage that way because they're wanting people to relate to mermaids and hence the meshing of the worlds uh-huh. because of how why humans... When you look at what biblical history of why humans needed to start covering up, because before that, humans didn't care about covering up. There was right. no shame. There was no shame. Right. So I think they're trying to make it relatable more than anything else. It's just relatability. Okay. And not actuality. Okay. Of what it would be. So yes, if mermaids do exist, I feel like we'd see nipple. Okay. <laughs> I have a backup question. Can I say the backup question? I would love to hear it. Are you really a manatee? <laughs> because there is some belief that... The old conquistadors or whatever they were, the pirates, whatever, wrote about mermaids, but they really saw manatees. Dangle some lettuce and then you'll know. Don't call uh, a mer person a sea cow. I know. Don't, know, like, I, don't body shame just, them. Yeah, I, it's really bad. <laughs> Sugarfoots3 on Instagram wants to know, uh, does your hair frizz from the humidity? Like Monocon Friends? Yeah. Well, if you use the dingle hopper appropriately, then nice. it'll never frizz. Well Very done. Nice. That was your best one of the night. Okay. Yeah. You're you're off the hook for a few things. For centaur in particular. <laughs> you can't catch me. Uh, and uh, catch me outside. We have it's just me, Ashley, who asks the question, 
we can't answer. She says, how do mermaids do the do? Guitar. <laughs> You've been listening to the Untitled Film Project podcast, goofing around uh, about The Little Mermaid, a movie most of us really, really loved. Uh, It's (laughs) been a good time. (laughs) I guess he's talking about me. (laughs) Thank you, Jim. No, you know, hey, you know what? You do you. We don't... Oh, I am. You're not here on the podcast to echo the scores from Rotten Tomatoes or whoever else. Now, why you gotta be like that, Jim? (laughs) Why you got to stick your, your nose where That's it don't why. belong? Because if we just use Rotten Tomatoes or some other it's third a party talking thing, point. It, then, then they should be on the show instead of whoever's quoting them. You're trying to replace me? No. Are you trying to replace yourself? Twitter, Untitled Film Project, pod, whatever, type it in. You're going to find us. Whatever. Facebook is where you'll find us, too. Click the link tree. You'll find all of our social media and how to listen to us. Appreciate you. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Untitled Film Project podcast. To support the show, please rate, review, follow, and subscribe. Original music by Jeremy Schwartz. Special thanks to the Music City Film Critics Association. Editing and post-production by Jeremy K. Gover. Voiceover by Chad Bennett.